Okay, so now today was supposed to be a no notes day. I was going to um, try to preach with, you know, no, no notes. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and I have to tell y'all, I, I really, really, like I always appreciate our pastor because we have a great pastor. Um, but I was for real appreciating our pastor this week because not only do we get like really good teaching, really good preaching, but he does it with no notes. That's not easy. So uh, we need to all be thankful and grateful for the man of God that we have over us. Amen. <laughs> I know that's right. All right. So we are in this uh, sermon series, right? And we're rediscovering Jesus. And I think that this is an awesome sermon series. Because for those of us who are Christian and uh, who have been Christian for a while, you know, some of us, we're getting reintroduced to Jesus, right? Because if we're really honest, after a while, it gets a little bit stale. So I praise God for those who aren't Christian here, because you're getting introduced to like the real Jesus, and that's really good. Because for those of us who it sometimes becomes stale for, we don't do a good job demonstrating who that Jesus is all the time, right, if we're honest? Because we sung all the songs, we know them by heart, we've memorized all the right memory verses, and we can recite them at the appropriate times. We've heard sermons on all of the, like, really important passages, and we've heard so many sermons that we don't even question, like, the interpretation of those scriptures anymore. We know what they mean, right? Because we you, you taught it in Bible school or you heard it in Sunday school. So it, it gets old for us. And so this sermon series allows us to get to see Jesus again, right? And for some of us to see Jesus for the first time. And so last week, we got a very clear distinction of the difference between gospel and religion. And that's been the driving sort of theme behind this sermon series, the difference between gospel and religion, And that's hugely important because a lot of us, again, we've gotten really, really good at religion, but we forget about, you know, gospel. And see, last week, Pastor Peter gave us a very clear definition of the, the difference between, the key difference between gospel and religion. So you get religion that says that I obey and therefore I am accepted, right? You guys remember that? And then gospel, on the other hand, comes behind and it says, I am more sinful and more wicked than I could ever imagine. But at the same time, I am more loved and more accepted than I could ever hope for. That's a huge difference, right? Because if you embrace gospel, you can't help but to say, I am loved, I am acceptable, and therefore it is my joy, it is my delight to obey, right? We understand where obedience comes from when we embrace gospel, so we said that, uh, uh, and I said, that, that unfortunately what you see in the church is a lot of folk who have forgotten that. And we've embraced religion, and we've done it really, really well. And so you see folk who can, you know, praise God, and we sing the songs, and we pray the prayers, and we do all the right things at all the right times. But then when crisis hits, we find ourselves messed up. We're completely bewildered. We are dejected. We feel rejected because all of a sudden we realize that the pad answers and the quick fixes that religion offers do not bring peace, will not comfort, will not bring you the joy that you need. It can't. That's not what religion does. That's not the point of religion. And this is hugely important 
for our individual lives, right? Because last week, as we learned, it's the difference between being stagnant and growing. If you are someone who has embraced religion, you can't grow. It's impossible to grow because religion demands that you spend every waking moment thinking about your sin, thinking about the sins of others, trying to figure out what you need to do about your sin, how do you fix it, how do you, this is what you should do, this is what you should not do. You can't grow like that, right? Religion will have you bound. Instead of having the liberty that Jesus Christ brings, you will walk around constantly being bound by feelings of condemnation. You can't help but feel that way. You will always feel like you're not good enough, you're not working hard enough, and you'll be right. (laughs) Because you can't, right? You can't be good enough. (laughs) You can't work hard enough. If we could all pull ourselves up by our religious bootstraps and, you know, walk humbly and righteously before our God, the cross would be a cruel and unusual punishment. It would have been a horrible joke that God played on the world. What would be the point? What would be the point of Jesus Christ coming here, living the life that he lived, dying the death that he died, if we could all just, you know, get right church and let's go home on our own, right? Like, there'd be no point. So this has huge implications for how we live our individual lives. It's the difference between being free or being bound. It's the difference between being able to serve God and love God wholly and fully or walking around constantly trying to worry about what everybody else is doing and, and how you're doing it and if you're doing it right. and what you, That's mess, right? It's impossible to please God without faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that is hugely important. The way you start, as Pastor Peter said last week, the way we start this journey, that's the way we're supposed to continue to walk this journey, with faith. But this has some corporate implications as well. See, embracing religion rather than gospel not only affects the way that you live your individual life, but it affects the way that people out there, the world out there, it affects the way they see us, And more importantly, it affects the way they see the God that we serve. So that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, these these corporate implications. And so we're going to be looking at two similar passages, um, one in Luke and one in Matthew. And I have to say, one thing that I, I love about the Word of God is that it doesn't matter how unique we think our situation is, how, you know, different we think our times are. Somehow, God has a way of speaking through a document that was written like over thousands of years ago and speaking right into our situation. I think that's kind of awesome, right? It is truly living and active. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and get into it. You can open them to uh, Luke 17. We'll start with that. And we're going to read verses 11 through 19. Okay, so it reads, Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
Now, there are several things uh, that we're going to look at in this passage, but I want you to hold on for a moment to the verse 14. Go show yourselves to the priests. So now, at first glance, this might seem like a strange sort of a command. And this isn't the first time that we see this command in the Gospels. And so if you turn now to Matthew 8, uh, we're going to see the first time that this sort of appears. It's Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. And it reads, when he, and we're talking about Jesus, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gifts Moses commanded and test in, as a testimony to them. Okay, so once again, we get this command, go show yourself to the priest. And Matthew's gospel extends that. So you see, in addition to showing himself to the priest, he was supposed to offer uh, the gifts that, that Moses commanded. So what's going on in these two passages? Why did Jesus give such a command? Well, Matthew's gospel gives us a really good clue. So that whole business about offering the gifts that Moses commanded, that lets us know that he's talking about something that has to do with the law, right? So now often when we think about Moses and the law, we think about the Ten Commandments, and unfortunately, often we think of Charleston Heston, which is such a sad, such a sad, sad correlation. But yes, that's what we think about, right? The, the two tablets of stone and the, the Ten Commandments, and that's, that's good. So, but in addition to those Ten Commandments, there were hundreds of other laws <laughs> that the children of Israel had that they were supposed to follow. And you find these in the first five books of uh, the Bible. Lots of them you find in the book of Leviticus. And so you had laws from everything ranging from like, you know, dietary requirements and what kind of fabrics you should wear in your clothing to what kind of sacrifices you should give at what, and the appropriate times to get sacrifices. There were tons and tons of laws. And so the series of laws that the passage um, in Matthew is referring to were the series of laws on skin diseases. And now skin disease, you'll see in a second. In Leviticus, they are very, very specific about these skin diseases. Like, they go into great detail about what the rash might look like, and it, it's very detailed. <laughs> um, in the New Testament, they tend to just call this all leprosy, right? So all skin conditions were leprosy. But I want you to know that what we're going to be, it's the same thing. So the Levitical laws and requirements on skin diseases apply to what we're looking at in Matthew and Luke when they're talking about people with leprosy. So in chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus, this is where you get this very detailed code of what you're supposed to do about all these rashes and infections and such. In, 14, in the 14th chapter, we find out, like, once you're healed of this, a very detailed description of the kinds of sacrifices you're supposed to give, the kind of offerings and what the rituals are supposed to be, right? So the idea was you get healed of whatever your skin condition is, you go, you show yourselves to the priest, the priest inspect you, and then once they see that you're healed, they declare you clean, and then there's a number of rituals that follow. So in Matthew, when Jesus says, you know, go show yourself to the priest and then give the gifts that Moses commanded, Leviticus chapter 14, that's what he's sort of referring to. And I encourage you to go back and read Leviticus chapter 14 at your own leisure. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but there's something else that's going on here. And to get at that, we need to go to the 13th chapter of Leviticus. 
Now, in this chapter, we find very detailed descriptions of what constitutes an infectious disease, you know, versus just a simple everyday rash and what you're supposed to do about it. I I know that's what it's about, though. (laughs) uh, Now, I'm going to read some verses from Leviticus chapter 13 to you. It's not going to come up on the screen. I just want you to listen to the, to the verses. And listen carefully to see, because there's going to be a question and answer period at the end of this reading. So listen carefully to see if you can tell what's going on here. All right. So beginning at the first verse, it says, <laughs> The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a bright spot on his skin that may become an infectious disease, he must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on his skin, and if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep. Now, you don't have to, I'm not going to ask you about the sores, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. If, if, the, if the sore appears to be more than skin deep, he shall pronounce him ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. If the spot on his skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to put the infected person in isolation for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine him, and if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread to the skin, he is to keep him in isolation for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine him again, and if the sore has faded and has not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a rash. The man must wash his clothes and he will be clean. But if the rash does not spread in his skin after he has shown himself to the priest to be pronounced clean, he must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine him, and if the rash is spread in the skin, he shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infectious disease. Okay, <laughs> so, so I, no question to answer this time. What's happening here, basically, is you have very detailed descriptions of all that it takes before someone is said to have an infectious disease. Do y'all get that? Right? So uh, basically, you get a period of 14 days and constant examinations going back and forth between the sick person and the priest before the priest says, this person has an infectious disease. Hold on to that. That's important. We're about to see why. Okay. Now, now really pay attention because I will ask you a question after this. When anyone has an infectious skin disease... Okay, he must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine him, and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and if the flesh is raw and and swelling, it is a chronic skin disease. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. He is not to be put in isolation because he is already unclean. If the disease breaks out all over his skin, so far, and so far as the priest can see, it covers all the skin of the infected person from head to foot, the priest is to examine him. And if the disease has covered his whole body, he shall pronounce that person clean. Since it has all turned, see, somebody said what? I know. Since it has all turned white, he is clean. But, whatever, but whenever raw flesh appears on him, he will be unclean. When the priest sees the raw flesh, he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. He has an infectious disease. Should the raw flesh change and turn white, he must go to the priest. The priest is to examine him. The source have turned white. The priest shall pronounce the infected person clean. Then he will be clean. Okay. <laughs> so this is a whole lot of stuff happening, right? But why, why do you think this was necessary? What do you think is going on? 
Anybody. And, or you could be confused completely, and that's fine. <laughs> Anybody. What might be going on? Why might God have given these kind of regulations to the people? Exactly. <laughs> to limit the spread. Right. So think about the times. Like this is not in, this is before modern medicine. You couldn't just run to your dermatologist, get a little ointment, and then be okay, right? Like people lived in very close quarters. So this was a way of making sure that one person's rash didn't turn into some sort of epidemic in the whole entire community. And listen to what is happening here. It, certainly there were times where people needed to be isolated, right? But the, the, the Levitical Code, and God make, makes it very clear that, you know, if someone is just, if you got an infectious disease, at some point in time, we just need to call you clean, right? Because what? What can you do? You have an infectious disease. Now, if it starts to, you know, look like it might be contagious, then we're going to put you in isolation for a little bit. But when it heals, you'll come on back and join the community. Why was this important? What's going on with this, you know, whether you're clean or unclean? Well, if you remember... To be declared ceremonially unclean meant that you could not participate in the faith community. You couldn't make sacrifices. You couldn't go to, there was a lot of things you could not do when you were declared unclean. So you get all of this detail, right? Because God is trying to say, certainly we got, you know, we got to keep the people safe. But we're not trying to bar sick folk from being able to participate in worship. We want to make sure they're not contagious, but they're still a part of this community, right? Okay, so hold on to that. Now, we're going to go back, fast forward, or I guess go forward, to, to Jesus and to these passages that we just read. So we've seen now that the reason why Jesus um, healed in these two passages and tells them to go show themselves to the priest is he's following this law. This was something that was prescribed already. And if we were to stop here, you might just conclude that Jesus, you know, Jesus was a good Jew. He was doing what Jews did. You heal somebody, and now you go show yourself to the priest. You make the appropriate sacrifices, and this is what the law requires. And I think that if you jump from Leviticus to these, to this, these passages that we read this morning, without some historical context, it's very easy to make that conclusion, that assumption. But there's a whole lot that has happened in between the Levitical law and what is going on when Jesus tells these folk, go show yourself to the priest. See, at the time that Jesus performed these two healings, the regulations that God had given about, you know, skin diseases and all of the laws had sort of been expanded. The Pharisees had come up with a wonderful way to make sure that no one ever broke the law. And what they said, and Pastor Peter has talked about this before, it was this idea of building a fence around the law. So if God says no one can touch this music stand, then what we will say is no one can step on the rug. Because that way, if we tell people they can't even step on the rug, they'll never come anywhere close to the music stand. Does that make sense? So it can seem a little crazy, but we've all done it, I bet. When I uh, got my car, um, you know, the temporary registration expired, and I still needed to drive. I, okay, so maybe I didn't need to drive. I went most of my life without a license, so I probably could not have driven. I could have got back on the bus that I had just gotten off of, but I wanted to drive. So I had decided I was still going to drive, right? Um, so on the way to school, I passed a police station. I was extremely paranoid of getting a speeding ticket. <laughs> so the speed limit around this police station is 30 miles an hour. When I would drive past the police station, I made sure that I went no faster than like 27 or 28 at the max. 
because I didn't want a ticket. So that was my way of protecting myself, right? The law says one thing. I'm going to do, you know, this to the nth degree to make sure I don't break the law. Does that make sense? You've probably all done it in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So this is what the Pharisees had done. So basically, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, what had happened is if the law said that a person with a chronic skin disease, an infectious skin disease, you know, needs to be declared ceremonially unclean for a short period of time and then brought back to the community, the Pharisees said, well, you know, why don't we just go ahead and declare them unclean, period, right? If the law said that you need to isolate these people for, you know, a period of time so that they can be healed and then declared clean, the Pharisees said, eh, okay, well, why don't we just, you know, isolate them, period. We'll just banish them. They have no access to the faith community. They have no access to the temple to worship. So what does this mean? Think about the implications. So when we, you, and I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, we sing about it. It's, I know it's in, I don't know the song, but I'm sure it's in a song. You know, Jesus touched those who others didn't want to touch, and Jesus healed. And we think, it's like, oh, that's such a warm, fuzzy feeling. He went and he touched people who no one else would touch. That is awesome, and Jesus did do that. But there's some much deeper implications of Jesus touching the people that he touched and healing the people that he healed. See, at that time, to be barred from the community meant so much more than just being, like, barred from human affection and human touch. In fact, it didn't necessarily mean that at all. Lepers lived in in leper colonies most often. That's why you get the ten men coming together to greet Jesus, right? These ten men had leprosy, so they, they had contact with people, just, you know, certain kinds of people. What it meant was that you were completely barred from the social, the political, the religious life of this community. So people with leprosy were the poorest of the poor because they couldn't participate in the labor force in any meaningful way, right? People who had leprosy couldn't come and worship God in the temple. They couldn't do these sorts of things. They were on the outskirts of, com- of the community, of the faith community, That's the implication. So when Jesus touches them and heals them and says, go show yourself to the priest, what has he said? He's doing so much more than just being a good Jew and obeying the law. He is saying in a very powerful way that you do not get to say who is in and who is out. In that action of healing those men, Jesus radically challenged the status quo of the day. You no longer, the days when some men can say who comes in, who comes out, are over. Jesus is Lord of all, and all are welcome. And see, some of you might be tempted to say, well, Michelle, that sounds good, but you might be reading a little into the passage. And again, that's why I love God's word. Because (laughs) I believe that God knew people would think that. (laughs) And so that's why in the Luke passage, you get this very interesting thing. Let's think about what happens in the Luke passage. Luke tells us that it was a Samaritan who came back to give thanks. So now, Samaritans and Jews, that should should ring a bell for any any of us who have been in the church for a little while, right? Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. These people were not folk who just, like, they didn't kick it. They didn't hang. They did not like each other. You did not interact, right? And so for a Samaritan to show himself to the priest, see, he was already unclean. He could have been, you know, the poster child for clear, radiant, healthy skin. He would have already been unclean according to the priest and according to Jewish law at that time, right? Because he was a Samaritan. We don't deal with them. 
So can you imagine what the Pharisees would have thought when the Samaritan showed up talking about, I'm healed, I can come in now. Look at me, I'm, I'm here to offer the, you know, the sacrifices that Moses said. Can you imagine, that's what got Jesus killed. That's the kind of stuff. <laughs> See, that's why, that's why they killed Jesus. <laughs> See, that, and, not, and not only that, but then Luke tells us that of all of these folk, it was the Samaritan who came back to give thanks. He was the only one who came to say, thank you, I want to praise God for this healing. So God wanted to make it perfectly clear, this is a loud and bold proclamation that all are welcome. Jesus did not come to be Lord of a few, Jesus came to be Lord of all. So now we've talked about the difference between gospel and religion, and here is a key difference. Religion says that only those who do the appropriate things at the appropriate times and don't do the appropriate don'ts at the inappropriate times, only those folk are welcome. Gospel says all are welcome, right? So I said at the beginning of this sermon that whether we embrace gospel or religion has huge implications for our corporate life, right? And so let me make that plain. See, in chasing religion, we have communicated to a large portion of this world that you are not welcome here. And worse, we have communicated to people that you are unlovable by God. You are unacceptable by God, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Rather than seeing the loving, caring God that we serve, what people, the kind of God that we've lifted up for this world is a God who loves only when certain conditions are met, and a God who is wrathful, and a God who punishes without mercy. That's the kind of God that we've lifted up before folk. And it's no wonder that folk don't want to have any part of that God. A few uh, months ago, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues. And I, you know, I do, I praise God for um, the place that I'm in right now. Because for the first time in my life, and, and, and for those of you who don't know, I'm studying at UIC, you know, to get um, a PhD in sociology, pray my strength. Um, But for the first time since I've been in Chicago, I'm in a community where I'm around tons of non-Christians. And not, you know, I went to seminary too, and (laughs) I was around some special Christians. But I'm like, (laughs) sorry, Lord. (laughs) But I am, I'm around, like, you know... (laughs) I'm around completely non-Christian folk, and I love it. So I was having a conversation with one of uh, these people, and we were, you know, having just light conversation about, well, the topics weren't so light. We were talking about politics. We were talking about sex. We were talking about the church. We were just talking about all, you know, kinds of things. Um, And I just, you know, we started getting into each other's stories. And so she, this particular young lady is, a, is an atheist. And so I was asking her, you know, how she got to that place, you know, because in the course of the conversation, there were certain things that she said that gave me the, the indication that she hadn't always been atheist. At one point in time, she actually had um, been a believer. So she started telling me her story. Um, she's a lesbian, and uh, she grew up in a very religious, um, very Pentecostal home. 
Um, her, this girl has, I mean, she knows scripture better than most Christians that I know. She's read the Bible from cover to cover um, and was very, at one point in time, very passionately faithful. This was someone who was a believer. Well, when she came out to her family and to her faith community, um, she was basically told that she, you know, was, could not be loved by God and was not loved by God and would not be loved by God until she changed. Added to that, uh, her parents were told that their child's sin was somehow a result of their sin. There was something that they had done that had made their child gay. And they were made to feel like as long as they allowed the child, her to stay with them, that they were, you know, they were, you know, basically continuing to participate in this sin, and they were just as wicked and evil as she was. So fortunately, her parents did not put her out, you know. They obviously had some very, a very strained relationship. They still have a strained relationship because despite their love for their child, you know, this is a church that they grew up in, and this is um, a, a doctrine that they have like wholeheartedly embraced. And so her mother to this day feels extremely guilty and she has two forms of guilt and both of them made me sick to my stomach. On the one hand, she feels extremely guilty that she somehow made her child gay. On the other hand, she feels extremely guilty because she has, she didn't, she wasn't able to push her child away. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine being a parent and actually feeling guilty because you love your child, like feeling guilty because you didn't kick your child out of the house and say, don't ever come back here until you get it together. So we're having this conversation, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a crier, but I'm sitting here crying. Now, I feel like a punk because it's not an appropriate setting to be crying because we're, I mean, it wasn't like we were having a one-on-one personal conversation in, you know, an office or something. We were at, like, a social event, and I'm like... It, it was a little ridiculous, but I was so angry because I couldn't imagine the kind of pain that that would cause. You To be told that God cannot love you, does not love you, and will not love you, and then to be told also that you, this relationship you have with your parents is wicked because you're just so wicked that no one should have anything to do with you. I could not believe it. Religion hurts. It can't help but hurt. Because what religion says is we need to devote all of our time to trying to figure out what your sin is, what my sin is, and then we got to all fix it. And we got to make sure that we know who's sinning and who's not sinning. Because Lord have mercy, if the sinners got in, oh, right? Religion can't help but hurt. That's what it does. Whereas gospel says that humanity is transformed because of the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, religion says that no, transformation comes from adhering to a very strict rule, set of guidelines, what you do, what you don't do, and you better do it all for fear of utter rejection. See, often we talk about people walking away from, you know, the church, you know, walking, in, walking away, turning away from their faith. But in actuality, the church has really turned away from a lot of people right? A lot of you who are in this church today can completely relate to this, right? A lot of you are here for that because you were very wounded by the church. You were very hurt by the church. And praise God, at some point in time, you found a place, and I praise God that it's this place. You found a place where you say, hey, this is a different image of God. I can get with this. A God that loves me? Whoa, that's amazing. (laughs) Like, I like that. I'm attracted to that. I can come and I can worship here. I can be here. 
When we as a church let go of religion and when we embrace the fundamental truth of the gospel that we are more wicked and more sinful than we could ever imagine, but at the same time more loved and more accepted than we could ever hope for, when we embrace that, we can't help but lift up a God of love to the world. We can't help but show the world a God who said, I died for you. I died so that all would be accepted, that all would be welcome. We can't help but lift that God up. And when people see that God, they can't help but be drawn to him. We were, right? <laughs> like, that's an attractive image of God. That's a true image of God. That is the God that we're all seeking, that we're all yearning for. And see, when people see that God and when they are called by that God, you can't help but respond. Can you imagine what it would look like if that's the image of God that folks saw in the world? You wouldn't have to worry about folk calling the church hypocrites or doing any of that kind of stuff. People would be bursting at the seams, right? Churches would be bursting at the seams because that's the kind of God that people are drawn to and attracted to. And God... God is the one who will bring all this wonderful transformation that we are all desperately seeking and in need of. And that is good news. That is very good news because let me tell you, if it was up to us to get ourselves and everybody else in check, there would be no point in singing about, trying to figure out, pray about heaven. No point. Because I guarantee you it would be a place that none of us would be going to. So we wouldn't have to worry about it. Right? I mean, if, it was, if that was it, you know what I mean? Like, you got to get it together and you got to do it and you got to get everybody else together, it'd be a wrap. It'd be, hey, it's like, okay, well, it was a good idea, God, but, like, sorry. <laughs> so, what are the practical implications of this? Well, I think that this story um, begs the question, who are you? Where are you in this, in this story? Like, what character do you most relate to? So... Let me talk to the Christians for a little bit. Some of us have been lepers, right? Some of us have been the folk who were cast out, who were turned away, and who Jesus came and restored back to the faith community. Um, But some of us, and I dare say many of us, some of us who even were lepers, have also been Pharisees. So how do you know if you're a Pharisee? Well, this is how you can tell. If the biggest question on your mind throughout the course of this sermon series has been, but what about cheap grace? If you've been waiting for Pastor Peter to lay the smack down on sinners and people who are living in sin, you know, if when I told the story about my friend, the only thing that you could think about was, but, you know, I mean, homosexuality is a sin, right? You just might be a little pharisaic, right? (laughs) And don't feel bad if that's where you landed, because I tell you now, you are in good company, because if we are honest (laughs) with ourselves, we have all been Pharisees at some point in time. It's hard. We wrestle daily with trying to, you know, renounce religion and embrace gospel. That's something that we we will always struggle with, right? So I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad, right? But At the same time, there are some things that we can do. I know when I first became a Christian, I was very, very zealous, quite overly zealous, and I probably did more harm for the name and fame of Jesus in that first year than I had done in all the years that I was attacking Christians. Because I just, you know, I was very passionate about everybody now becoming a Christian. And one of the people in my life who was not a Christian and the person who I desperately wanted to be a Christian was my mother. And I 
treated my mother. So, I mean, we got into huge arguments about religion, and I just had to, every point, I needed to show her, but you're wrong. And my mom had a different religion at the time, and I took every point to criticize it and to talk to her about how this is sinful, this is wrong, this is wrong. Not at all thinking about what that meant to her, not at all trying to have a conversation and just understand and just dialogue. It was, we had a very contentious relationship for about a year because I was a Christian. Now, that is, that, doesn't that sound wrong? My, my mother and I had a contentious relationship for a year because I was a Christian. But it, once I was convicted of that, I had to apologize to my mother. I had to repent to her because I realized that I had done her harm. I had been disrespectful, and I had not been compassionate and loving at all and had not shown her anything in this new faith that I had embraced that would make her say, that's something that I would like to try. So are there people in your life who you need to apologize to? If you are sitting in this room today, and this is for my Christian brothers and sisters, if you are someone who, you know, has erred on the side of the Pharisees and have sent the message unwittingly, that someone is not loved, that someone is not accepted, then that's something that you need to repent for. And then there may be some people who you can take some real tangible steps and say, I am sorry. I realize that that conversation that we had, I realize that the way I've been treating you has not been of God. That's not the way, you know, that's not the image of God that I want you to see. It's not right, right? So now, for those of you um, who are not Christian, I think that there's some practical implications for you as well. First of all, don't let anyone or anything take God away from you. If you are here today and someone has told you that you are unlovable and unacceptable to God, let me tell you right now, they were wrong. Period. They were wrong. From here on out, I don't care how loud, you know, the the religious voices among us may be, don't let anyone tell you that God does not and cannot and will not love you. So some of you who are not Christian, you've been feeling a tug. You've been feeling God working in your life, but you've resisted, right? Because the pain the church has caused you, and that's real and that is legitimate pain. But let me say it again. Anyone who has ever told you that you are unlovable, unacceptable to God was wrong. So this is the day I invite you to get to know the real Jesus. If you have been, you know, if there's been a portrait of some, you know, strange, unloving, wrathful, vengeful God that has been lifted up before you today, I encourage you, I invite you to get to know the real God, the real Jesus, the one that died on a cross for you because he loved you and didn't have to wait to see if he was going to get it right before he decided that he was going to die. The one who sacrificed because he loved you. The image of the Christian God is Jesus on a cross dying for our sins, suffering for our sins, because God so loved the world. All are welcomed. Jesus is Lord of all. And if you don't take anything away from this sermon today, that is what I hope you do take. Jesus is Lord of all. So for those of us who love him and and we call him Lord, Not only is it important for us to embrace this message, to grasp this message, the difference between religion and gospel. We need gospel, religion, bad, gospel, good. It's important for our individual lives, but it's important for our witness as Christians. It's important for our witness to this world. And if we don't get it, we are going to continue to be a church that has no power. We are going to continue to be a church that has no witness. We are going to continue to be a church that is seen to be irrelevant by the rest of the world.
But when we embrace gospel, I guarantee you, people will embrace God. When we embrace gospel, people will be drawn to God because people will see God. And the world desperately needs to see God. Amen. So as the worship team comes back up, um, I want to just encourage those of you again. Like, I'm serious, for real. I had to apologize to my mother. And so there may be some people, if you can think about it this week, who have you hurt? Who have you offended? And again, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. I don't want anybody to feel guilty because clearly that's not the point, right? But are there people in your life who you have said, God doesn't love you? God does not, cannot love you. God will not love you. Are there ways that you are living your life that is sending that message? If there are, I pray, I pray, I pray that you will repent. And I pray that you will take, be bold, approach those people and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Because that'll do, the moment that I apologized to my mother was the first, that was the moment that we began to actually be able to really talk about God and to really talk, and I, used to, I was able to really share my faith. And she would listen, because I had, I had said I was wrong. I did not approach you right. I did not treat you with love. I did not treat you with respect. I did not treat you the way that our God commands us to treat people. And that has done the most for our relationship and probably the most for my witness to my mother than anything I could have ever, ever done. Pray with me. God, I just thank you that you are a wonderful, loving God. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves us all, who accepts us all, who is calling us all. I praise you that your heart is for the world, not a select few, not the folk that get it. Lord, that your heart is for the world and you desperately desire us all to yearn for you, to seek after you, to proclaim you as Lord, God, King. Lord, I ask that in this coming week, Lord Jesus, if there are people who should repent, Lord, and who should apologize to certain folk, I pray that you would bring those names and those conversations and those actions to remembrance, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you would do it in your way, in a gentle, loving, kind way. God, I pray that for anyone who is in this audience who is not a believer, who does not know you, and who's been hurt by the church, God, I pray that today, Lord, you would begin to heal and you would begin to reveal yourself to them as a loving, powerful father who loves all of his children. God, I thank you for that. I can't even imagine the, the, the breadth of your unconditional love, Lord Jesus. But I thank you for it. I praise you for it. God, I pray that that would be something that we delight in. I pray that daily this would be a church that is a gospel-embracing church. I pray that daily you would give us the strength, Lord, to renounce religion and embrace your gospel truth. And I thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Michelle, I want to thank you for, where are you? There you are. <laughs> and thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for your word. What Michelle talked about today, I believe that the heart of who we want to be as a church. Will you all stand with me, okay, and pray with me. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, the reminder of what it is that you did for us would be the motivation May the very truth of the gospel anchor us and center us in such a way that we would not be forced to, but rather, Father, it would be an overflow of the gratitude and of the joy that resides within 
You are the Lord of all. And we pray that we would be open, receptive, loving of those, Father, who are, who are, who are searching and seeking. May we be bold agents of change in our world as we leave today. And may not we just be agents of change because of what we say, but may the very lives that we live reflect the truth of who you are and what you have done for us. May the world see, may the world see, may the world see this Jesus who gave his life for all. And may we reflect that to the world that we live in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week, you guys. We'll continue our journey of rediscovering Jesus next week.